call the meeting of the AHS Finance Committee to order. And Madam. Trustee Fox. Would you please take the roll? Yes, Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Obligacion. Here. Trustee Simon. Here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We have a quorum, thank you. Okay. And I understand we have some public comment. We do. We have one uh, public comment for non-agenda items, and that's Tracy Regelman. If you want to come on up to the podium. And I'll put a three-minute timer on for you, and I'll give you a 30-second warning. All right, we're ready when you are. All right. Uh, good evening. My name is Tracy Regelman. I'm a resident of the city of Alameda. And just so I'm not known as Tracy from the Yacht Club, oh, uh, <laughs> I lived in my car for six months. I worked in an ambulance for five years uh, in my younger days. I am here to talk about Eddie's Place. Uh, I don't know how familiar people are here about Eddie's Place. It's a pilot program that started in uh, May 1st. Uh, an agreement between Alameda Health Systems, Cardia Health, Five Keys, and the Marina Village Inn. The Marina Village Inn should be known as a motel, not a hotel. It's a motel, which means there's access to the Marina Village Inn from the parking lot. It's within 15 yards of the water where people have fallen in and drowned. Um, and the award of the contract is very <coughs> opaque. It placed patients from Alameda Hospital who deserve much better treatment at significant risk. The facility is not in a condition to provide the services that it's providing. That facility has uh, construction problems, dry rot, mold, that sort of thing. Uh, the CEO of Cardia Health has even told me if I could help her to fix the plumbing in that building, I would be doing great. So she's providing services to a population that is underprivileged and underserved in society in a facility that is run down and not taken care of. There is a lack of access control at that building. There's no way to control who comes in and out at any time of the day. People can walk in and walk out as if you're walking into, uh, into the grocery store. There's not even a door controlling access to the buildings. The residents that are on the first floor have patios that open right up out to the side yard and they go right out in the Oakland estuary. There's inadequate staffing at the facility. Uh, there's not a proper level of care for the people that are there. They're treating it as home health care. Many of these people are uh, severely mentally um, impaired and need a, a higher level of care. According to the Mayo Clinic, they should have professional psychology psychology resources on site, there are none of those there. They cannot effectively screen and manage the patients, so there's not enough access control. They have two security people that man the front desk, no one manning the sides. 30 seconds. Okay, I'll get to the here since I turn the page. Um, this is an extremely high-risk uh, scenario, and someone's going to get hurt there. We've had several, several incidents over the past uh, six months of trespassing, theft, harassment. We even had the SWAT team out from Alameda, the city of Alameda. The number of calls have increased. They are averaging about three and a half, three and a quarter to three and a half EMS calls per week at this facility, where, there was, where there was none before. Something needs to be done. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. Thank you. Okay. Uh, 
We are now on to the first action item, action A, uh, item A on the agenda, the approval of the minutes of the last meeting, which was November 1st, 2023. Are there any uh, corrections, revisions, changes? Hearing none, can we have a, a motion please to approve the minutes? Motion to approve. Second. Okay. Madam Clerk, can we have a roll call please? This is sign in obligation. Um, it's Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Sign. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion Aye. passes. Okay. Uh, the next item on the agenda is Section B. Um, we have an article that was circulated with the uh, agenda package, which is really for information probably more than discussion, but just to uh, just to inform everybody a little bit about the environment, the healthcare environment that we're all in together. It's a, it's a, a brief article that talks about uh, the fact that uh, research has shown that uh, private equity-owned hospitals have a 25% higher uh, rate of hospital-acquired conditions, which are falls, infections, and so forth, uh, than other hospitals. Even even for-profit hospitals that are run by healthcare corporations, not necessarily private equity. So I'll just leave it there. If, if anybody on the committee has any comment, uh, speak. I, I do, Alan. Uh, yeah, I was I was just a little confused by I don't know if you included it or not. I just I was trying to understand why this is any instructive to you know for us. I mean, obviously we're not going to be run by a PE firm anytime soon, unless, you know, the board of supervisors have got different ideas of what's going to happen. What's going to happen. I, I just, I mean, it's, it's, I guess as you're, maybe you started off, you're saying it's just a little bit of knowledge that's uh, you would like to impart on people. And I appreciate that. I just didn't see how I could apply it to our situation. It's just general background about the healthcare environment that we're in. Uh, and I think it's important for, the committee to just understand what's going on in the industry, but I don't have any uh, illusions that we're going to sell out to private equity. Of course, I don't. I'm not aware that we have any offers. <laughs> so, you know, I, if, if we do, can you let us know, please? I, I would. I would most certainly do that, but we do not have any. Um, I would just offer Trustee Splendorio that part of the relevance of this, and I would certainly ask um, Trustee Bouquet to weigh in as well, but. It, it notice, notes in, I think, paragraph six, that um, <clears throat> the increase in hospital-acquired conditions in private equity-associated facilities might be connected to their staffing practices, and these hospitals tend to see an increase in net income due in part to reduce clinician staffing. I think that's mitigated to an extent in California because we do have ratios that are in effect, but we've heard in this venue before concerns about staffing and do we have sufficient staff to make sure that we're providing quality care, and that's certainly something that we are always mindful of. While we want to be prudent in how we staff, we also want to make sure that we are um, not just looking at dollars, we're looking at quality of care. But Trustee Bouquet, I don't know if you had anything to, to add to that. Uh, thank you. I'm just a guest, sir, to this evening, but uh, you know, I always have something to say. I agree with you. I think uh, it's, that fine, it, it's that fine spectrum between quality and efficiency. Uh, you know, uh, 
running an efficient service can, if, if it's a pure efficiency and finance drives uh, everything, uh, uh, quality can be compromised. So I think that, that I think that, that that's a, this is a nice uh, bullet point on this. It's a, it's finding that balance between keeping the doors open and, and also making sure that what's behind the doors is a quality product. So thank you. Thank you for that. Any other comments? Yeah, I would agree with Taft. It just, I mean, since there really is, there is no definition of what a private equity fund is. Um, it, you know, we kind of all know what it think we know what it is, but you know, it, it's really about management. And I think Taft hit it on the head. It's the balance between uh, quality and, you know, and, and efficiency, I guess. And uh, you have to be mindful of that. Any further comment, questions? Okay. We'll then move on to section C, uh, actually section B, E2, which is the chief financial officer's report. Ms. Miranda. Screen here. Okay, so this is the November financial report. Starting with volumes, I'll just make a few comments here. Uh, in November, our inpatient volume was down, so our days and discharges were both down. We did see a reduction in length of stay, which is good. We've got a lot of activities trying to get that, uh, get that down closer to the acuity models. And we're at 5.9. Last year, we were at 6.4, so some really good progress there. Um, our emergency visits were up. We were both read, uh, budget by 10%. We saw a lot of trauma cases, which if you go down to the bottom, you can see the insurance payer mix is up 4.3% uh, to 7.2% of our overall payer mix. Uh, year to date, we're at 7.6% of our overall payer mix, which is actually 10% of our budget. So that is definitely um, helping our net income. Surgeries are down. Um, particularly on the inpatient side. On the outpatient side, we're actually above budget, 7.9% um, year-to-date and 4.4 in the month. Our CMI, which is an indicator of our uh, acuity, we were up in the month 1.3, so I believe that is driven from the traumas. Year-to-date, we're actually down 1.4%. Our clinic visits were up 3.1 and 5.5 for the so the clinic uh, access is improving. The next slide is our opportunity days. So these are the days patients stay in the hospital above the Medicare GMLOS. So that is a change. Uh, last year, we were always reflecting the acuity model based on the payer. To make things simple and standardized, we decided to just look at the Medicare GMLOS. Good news here is look at that trend. It is not going up. It is it looks uh, flat to down here for the months that are, are showing, which is good news. Um, overall, we still have opportunity, uh, but we are moving in the right direction. Could I ask you to just uh, define GMLOS? Sure, so that's the geometric um, length of stay. So Medicare basically looks across the country and determines what the average number of days a patient should stay based on the DRG. That's a diagnostic related group. It's it complicated, but um, 
uh, based on a DRG. They've decided what the, or they haven't decided, they've done the math to determine what the um, geometric length of stay should be. And so that's what we're benchmarking ourselves against here. Just one, one note. That's, you're exactly right, but it's the geometric mean uh, length of stay. So that's what GMLOS is. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. So the next slide is our financial statement. Uh, we had a loss in the month of November of um, basically 0.9. Uh, year to date, we have a net income of 4.9. Um, we are running better than budget, but I do want to make a couple comments related to that. So. Um, what we've seen in our budget spread is um, is that we uh, we made some decisions in our FC software to do it based on salary, and I believe we probably should have done it based on the previous year's spread um, because things like FICA um, in January are very high, but towards the end of the year when when folks have capped out, it's actually lower. Same happens for retirement um, expense, and then our uh, health insurance can be can vary, you know, all over the place. So uh, what we think is going on here is of the 9.3 favorable variance, um, it would only be 2.4 if we made that correction. So what the budget oversight committee has asked us to do is to come to them with an adjusted spread so that we understand our positive variance. Because what we don't want to do is go into this year thinking we're way ahead of budget, approve a bunch of expenses, and then find out we are actually not ahead of budget as the months roll out. So um, we'll probably come back to this, uh, this group next month after EOC weighs in. We may want to make an adjustment in uh, December so that for the last six months, we have an accurate timing in our budget. All right, so the next slide is our net patient service revenue slide. I talked about the fact, the fact that inpatient days are below budget and our length of stay is down um, and our CMI is up, driven by the trauma cases. Uh, and our ED and outpatient surgery is favorable, and our uh, SNF census is favorable, although discharges are below budget. So we got a mix of results. Overall, our gross patient revenue is slightly above budget by 1.5%. Our net patient revenue is actually above budget 4.4%. So we've got a collection ratio of 19.4. Um, that's better than our year-to-date of 19.1 and also better than budget, and that is being driven by the commercial payer mix, that higher than budget commercial payer mix. Next slide is the uh, supplemental revenue. Uh, in the current month, we had a positive variance for EPP. It's uh, a calendar year 23 adjustment of 0.6. Year-to-date, I want to call out the Medi-Cal waiver being a positive 4.5 million. Just want to point out that that's not a recurring, that's based on COVID, right? So that is uh, uh, the COVID threshold. So when we look 
to future years, we're not going to see that extra revenue. So it, it really makes it important for BOC to, to, um, to take a look at our cost trends. Let's see, other operating revenue, uh, retail pharmacy is uh, doing very well, uh, been ahead of budget every month now for quite some time. And on a year-to-date basis, the Anthem settlement is uh, positive 1.1. Moving on to expenses. Our expenses are close to budget. We're 1.8% over. Uh, year-to-date, we're at 1.1%, so pretty close. Uh, I'll talk about labor on the upcoming slides. Uh, today, there's quite a few material variances. There's five of them. Um, the physician contract services is favorable. That is being driven off of uh, UCSF East Bay Foundation uh, credit to the GME program of 0.3. Um, purchase services uh, is over 9.7. That is a result of transitional housing and HIM coding fees. And you have to be careful when we look at coding fees because we have our internal staff and we have an outside contract. So you have to look at the net. What is transitional housing? Transitional housing is uh, our fees to Eddie's house. Uh, we had a speaker talking about that. Uh, that's the primary fees. And the var expense variance uh, year to date, that's going to be affected by changing the spread also. That's where the spread needs to change. It's in the benefits. So right. we'll get to that here in the next slide. Uh, the next item here is purchase. Um, well, actually, so I can go to the next slide. There really isn't a material variance there. Uh, the next one would be the facilities, and that's a timing difference, and that's uh, due to equipment repairs and utilities. Um, and then depreciation, we've been low all year. Uh, just as a reminder for the committee, uh, we capitalized a lot of projects at the end of the fiscal year. That's our typical time frame, but it was not done in time for the budget. So we under-reported uh, our depreciation expense for the year. General administrative is being driven off of the business insurance. It's over in the current month, and it's also over year-to-date 1.1. So we'll go on to the benefits here, or I'm sorry, the labor costs, which include benefits. Uh, our labor for our own staff was actually favorable in the month. Uh, we had 164 less FTE, and you can see on the bottom there, paid FTEs were down 107. So uh, our own, we had a positive volume variance that was offset, it wasn't completely offset, but by a rate variance. So if you look at the negative rate variance, you can see it's about 2% over in our the rates we're paying our staff, but overtime is also up. That's the second item there. And then it's being offset a little bit by shift differential, and that's from COVID. We used to give extra uh, shift differential if people would take additional shifts COVID pandemic, and we did not take the budget down for that. Registry um, 
is over budget. It's over by 0.5, and it's also over year to date, but particularly in the current month because we used more registry uh, with the holidays. So um, we had uh, higher utilization of 55 FTE, but at lower rates. So we're seeing much better rates for our registry staff. And Next. I think it's worth pointing out, excuse me, that our registry dollars are about $11 million below last year through November. So yes. About a third less than last year. That's a substantial rate reduction. And then on the benefits, um, this is where you see some big positive variances. You, you can see it there under employee benefits, it's uh, 2.8 million favorable and the retirement is 3.6. When we took a look at this, the retire retirement would be pretty much on budget if we had done a different spread. The employee benefits we're still looking at because there's a lot going on there with FICA and the self-funded health plan. We saw some really big increases. Like, uh, Kaiser was a 17% increase that we didn't uh, necessarily pick up in the budget. So, we're looking at that and we're uh, scrubbing it out and we're working with BOC to determine if we want to make any kind of change to the budget support. Right. And so I included this slide in the presentation because I think it helps um, kind of explain what's happening with our with the labor costs. Um, the yellow is the productive labor and, and if you look in the box over there to the right, we had 3,605 productive FTE compared to budget of 3,873. So we were thinking our own staff would take more of the shifts. Overall, our adjusted patient days, so that's an indicator of our, all of our volume across the AHS, it's actually higher than budget. So you would think we would need you know, more clinical FTE, right? And so that's why we're seeing the increase in the registry, which is the um, green and also the overtime, the gray. Um, but uh, overall, we had a lot of folks out on PTO for holidays, so that dropped that productive uh, yellow bar. So I hope that didn't confuse and helped more than, than hurt. Uh, and the next slide is just the full picture for physician costs. Um, you have to look at both the contract and the employee in order to get an idea of whether we're above or below budget. Um, right now, overall, we are positive. However, we know that we have fewer employed FTE than we budgeted, and we did recruit. We spread the recruiting evenly through the year, so the average rate is actually higher for positions. And what's the situation with uh, anesthesia? Anesthesia received some rate increases, um, uh, which we do not have in the budget. It's been part of this uh, these side letters. I don't know if anybody, somebody else wants to comment on that. And an order that took with the anesthesiology staffing, um, and we've consistently been recruiting additional uh, anesthesiologists in order to fill. How are we doing on that? Um, gosh, um, I, I can't give you the accurate 
timeline off the top of my head. I, I feel like it's towards the end of this calendar year, but I'll verify that with Arnie Lang and I can let you know. Because we're looking at $700,000 plus just for five months. So you think that that's going to mitigate the rest of the year? Or are we, I don't know, in for a million and a half variance for the whole year? Yeah, you can see it's both in salaries and in contract. Right. So um, I think we, we, maybe we can look at yeah. it and bring it back next time. Sounds good. All right, the next is the uh, balance sheet. Uh, our days in AR went the wrong direction. So we saw an increase of 2.9 in gross and 4.2 in net. Uh, typically, these will uh, move the same direction and about the same amount, um, but we only look at 90 days going back, and our um, our collection ratio has been um, uh, pretty. I wouldn't say a roller coaster ride, but it's kind of been up and down more than it normally is because we had a fee increase in July, and we don't have sample size sufficient to make us feel comfortable. Um, in our ZBA analysis, and when you compound the fact that we had a much better commercial payer mix, we did end up increasing our uh, net revenue. Uh, we'll know here in the next few months if like, we've done it enough. Maybe you know, as the ZBAs uh, get bigger, we'll have a better idea. But what it did do, because one of our months uh, was lower, it uh, it it changed the the. Our estimate of the net AR, and when we divided it by the net patient days, it ended up with a bigger reduction. So we're getting to the time of the year when that'll be less of a factor. Yes, yes. Uh, and then also worthy to note is the due from two county. It um, is a um, a receivable. Um, it was a payable. Uh, we did repay them an IGT, large IGT, IGT, excuse me, and we also made our capital cost payment for, from, uh, from our cost report to them. So that's why we now are sitting in a receivable position. Our uh, net position deteriorated. That's from the current month loss, so that's 0.9. And then the net negative balance went from us owing on the line of credit, 15.4 million now up to 35 million. And that's not inconsistent with what our projections have been. The next slide is more on the AR. Uh, you can see by comparing the top graph with the bottom graph that the reason why our AR days went up is eight at the top, so that's hospital building. And there's some, um, some significant reasons for it. Um, Medicare had two issues happening. We had a transmission error that resulted in half a day of AR. And then we've, um, we rolled out our initiative to begin billing for observation. And so we did self-deny um, days as not, um, not being inpatient, which is fine, but it did result in 0.9 of an increase in our overall days. And we're not, that 0.9 is going to be billed or should be billed as observation, so we're not going to see the net revenue on that. But um, this is, uh, I mean, this is what we needed to do 
And I, you know, we've had a really successful uh, engagement um, with uh, Dr. Tornbeni and clinical intelligence and Dr. Marino, and they have just been really knocked out of the park doing a fantastic job with getting our, uh, our observation built correctly. So hats off to them, but it did have an anomaly in this month since we just started. Our uh, collections were down this month. Um, we had an issue with San Leandro's NPI. Um, we have fixed that in December, so we should see full payment from Medi-Cal on those claims. And then we had a provider credentialing issue. We had two AIM providers that were not credentialed correctly, so we got denials. We have a meeting to resolve that with them. We don't have it fixed yet, so I'll have to report back to that later. So those are the drivers behind the increase in AR days. Here's our collections, and um, you can see at 57, 781, it's lower than we've been, uh, both on the EPIC side, and then we have zero from Alameda County on behavioral health. We've talked about that, and I want to remind everybody that with Cal AIM starting in July, um, the state has a new fee schedule, so we're going to be paid fee for service instead of cost. So, the billing manual is out and it's being revised, and the county software is not uh, up and running to where they can submit claims, if, even if we knew what to bill and were able to submit it to them. So, we are all in this hold pattern. So, what the county has done is they um, negotiated with James an interim agreement so that we could get some cash flow. And we will drop the first bill here in January for all of the technical or the uh, per diem um, stays at John George. We can't do the professional fees yet because the, the, the new schedule is just so much different and we don't have guidance to do it yet. But the county has said, has said they will um, accept the technical. So we, that bill will go out because we are going to start to uh, see some significant problems with uh, uh, cash flow if we don't start getting some payments from John George. Here's our uh, net negative uh, balance. You can see we're below the maximum and we expect to be all year. Um, worthy to note is our capital budget. We had planned to spend 30.5 um, based on four months, or actually five months, November, uh, we would have expected to spend 12.7, so we're just slightly behind, but this is better than we've been in many years, so this is good. And this uh, chart with the material supplemental funds has not changed, other than the fact that we did increase um, slightly our expenses because we've seen our expenses uh, going up, and so we did make an adjustment small into the forecast. That is the presentation for November. And I have one for the audit year end. Chair, I can go ahead and continue with that if you would like. Okay. Ready to go. 
Maybe you can also catch us up on what the status is on the audit for next year at this point in time. So we we finished the audit, but what we've um, typically done, historically done, is in January, kind of given a report of what the major differences were from last year to this year. And usually the, the differences have been supplemental funds, but COVID had um, a significant impact between the years here for us. So we'll do this pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to go over every adjustment. Just anything major you think we should know about. So, so just starting with audit adjustments. So the last time we reported to this board, it was preliminary financial statements. So what this slide is telling you is what changed uh, since we reported the preliminary. Basically, we had an, an overall increase in net income. Um, it was the result of QIP, which is supplemental funding that we found out during the audit that we were going to get more money, so the auditors had us uh, report it. We also needed to increase behavioral health because we got additional funds from the county. And then our expenses changed mostly for accruing incentive pay for unrepresented staff, and then the actuary reports, which were 2.9. So that's pretty much the only audit entries we had. We did need to implement GASB 96, which is very similar to GASB 87, which we implemented last year. Um, this basically uh, changes the way we account for subscription-based information technology arrangements. Um, it, it has a very immaterial impact to our financial statements. So if you want me, I can just skip that. All right. And then moving to the balance sheet, a um, couple points. Our net AR days went down, which is with our approved revenue cycle. Uh, our net reimbursement um, went up. We have a higher receivable, and that's because we paid down some of our waiver. That's for the GPP uh, Medi-Cal waiver, $25.4 And some timing differences that offset each other. And then down on the net negative balance, uh, we uh, were pretty consistent with where we were last year, so I don't think I need to go into that. It's not a significant change. But the net position did change a lot, and I think that's worth, worthy to mention. It went from 63.5 million up to 84.1, so that's the. And I think version. some of the members of the committee might have the same question I have, which is if we made $23 million net income. How did our, how come our net position went down 23, $20 million instead of going up? It became more of a retained loss rather than the retained loss shrinking the profitable year. And it's because we changed the way we're accounting for the capital cost transfers with the county. So what we used to do is we used to say that the county was going to transfer those funds back to us to invest in county-owned buildings. But as a result of all of the discussions we've had, Mark Kratzky's been uh, leading this with the county, the county has said no, they're gonna go ahead and record 
those improvements on their books. So therefore, we will never be able to relieve that receivable. So we had to remove it from our books. And it was 43.9 million, because that's the total that we have transferred over to the county. And it is now off of our books. We'll have to keep track of it you know, on a separate out of the GL ledger to make sure that we're able to use those funds to improve county books. So you're saying we basically wrote off the improvements that were on our books? The funds that we had transferred over to the county to improve county-owned facilities. Okay. Makes sense? And then that was 43.9, and then our net income was 23.2, so that's the net difference. Okay. So has the audit been signed off on yet by the auditor? It has. It is complete. It is complete. So does this go to the board as well? Or well we, I know it's gone through the audit committee, right, audit compliance committee. Yes, and, uh, and that's why we do this here, is because the finance committee never was able mm -hmm. to see it. So that's the purpose of going through it today. Okay. Uh, on the income statement, there's just four significant things to talk about. The first is our um, patient service revenue. It went up 68.4 million over 22. And that's because our volumes have increased. They're, all, they're just about back to where they were pre-pandemic. And we've collected significantly more cash, 69 million more last year. So that's uh, a great sign. Our other government programs is down 22 million. And that's really coming from ARPA, which is COVID money. So it's, we're not gonna get uh, the COVID money in 23. Uh, there's a couple offsetting things with prior year settlements, but they're really irrelevant. They offset them. It's really just the ARPA funds that went away. And then salaries and benefits, that's the big one. It's up 204.6 million. Um, so the retirement, uh, the GASB non-cash retirement went up 85 million because the investment returns were low. Did we talk about that? Yes, so that's 85 million of the 204.6. So we should get a lot of that back in the coming year because all the losses in calendar year 2022 pretty much reversed in the markets. Yes, our measurement date is uh, the end of December, so we did see a nice pickup, so I think you will be correct. Um, we did have 254 more FTE. And that does include registry. So, and our average rate went up 18.2%. And remember that the registry uh, per FTE was really high last year. And then uh, materials and supplies went up uh, 22.9 million. And that was driven off of the higher length of stay caused by COVID. And we had a lot more services. So that, have a longer length to say that means we're going to spend a lot more materials and supplies. Okay. So that is that. Um, and I included in the deck uh, the AHMG because that rolls up into mm -hmm. our financial statements. Um, so you can see that our PSA increased 15.8%. The PSA covers the employed staff, they had an increase of 12 FTEs and an average increase of 8.9% per position FTE. 
Down at the bottom on the balance sheet, also worthy to point out is that um, there's a due to Alameda Health System, which means that the PSA did not cover the expenses of AHMG. So we had to lend money to them because the PSA was not sufficient. And what is the uh, bottom line, the net income budgeted for AHMG this this year, uh, we based it, it should be zero because we based it on the PSA, but they're currently running above budget, so we think there will be a negative impact. And maybe when we come back and talk about anesthesia, maybe we can maybe do an overall update on the entire PSA. And the due to Alameda Health System, $8 million, is there any hope that we'll ever recoup that? The only source of revenue AHMG has is the PSA. So we can increase that and we'll basically be paying ourselves. And then the next slide is the foundation. Um, this also rolls up into AHS. Um, so in 23, we provided 1.6 million more of support and the foundation had a higher net income, which you can see increased their assets and fund balance, so that is good. They did not transfer over as much to us as they did in the previous year. They um, <clears throat> provided, they sent over 68%. So if you look at program services, that's how much they provided to AHS and a little bit to some others. So, and we gave them three seven. So or actually three eight, so that's 68%. The prior year they gave out more, 114.2%. I think we're due to have an update from the foundation one of these months. Yes, that is on the, on the list. So that is my Okay, so you don't need any action from this committee on the audit, is that correct? I do not. Okay. Any questions on the audit, comments? Okay, that brings us to section C of the agenda. Um, and we have some uh, speakers from the public. So I'll turn that over to you, Madam Clerk. Yes, we have uh, Dr. Joshi, Debbie Stebbins, and Robert Deutsch wants to all want to speak. You want to go first, Dr. Joshi? Sure, I can. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, trustees. I'm Nikita Joshi, the chief of staff of Alameda Hospital. I don't routinely attend this meeting, but thank you for having me here. I'm here to, be, to speak on behalf of the Alameda Hospital medical staff. We want to show our support for the current plan that is being proposed for Alameda Hospital, which preserves and maximizes the number of acute care beds. The medical staff strongly believes that the acute care beds are necessary in order to fulfill our mission at AHS, which is to provide high quality medical care for all of Alameda County underserved patients. We are deeply concerned that cutting the number of acute care beds within Alameda Hospital will have a ripple effect across the entire AHS system. For example, leading to increased boarding at Highland Hospital, challenges in getting specialty care for those who come to the <clears throat> hospitals that rely on transfer, and severely compromising quality of care that we measure regularly on our reportable metrics. We know that there have been other proposals that would utilize the space within the hospital, but we are concerned that those plans will not meet what our patients most directly need, which is timely access to inpatient medicine, complex medical care, and critical surgical needs. As a close-by statement, 
And before you move on to the discussion about the current proposals, I would ask you, the board of trustees, to consider what should be the driver in making this critical decision for the hospital? What proposal would allow HS to provide high quality healthcare that is most necessary for what our patients need? And how would we fulfill our commitment to Alameda County and to our safety net population and maximize access to all? Ultimately, if I were to be asked these questions, my response would be to select that proposal which prioritizes and maximizes the provision of high quality healthcare to all within Alameda County. The medical staff believes that the proposal which maintains the highest number of acute care beds meets what our patients most need, acutely need, which is access to inpatient medicine through the preservation of acute care beds. I believe that this should be our North Star and ultimate driver for the decision-making, selecting that proposal which provides what our patients need to improve their health and health outcomes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Yosef. All right, uh, Debbie Stevens and Dr. Deutsch. Whoever would like to go first. Good evening. Um, I'm here on behalf of the district. I'm the executive director of the City of Alameda Healthcare District, and here basically to um, answer questions that might come out of the discussion later on uh, of the recommendations but certainly on behalf of the district to support the recommendation that's being made by management and coming out of the Joint Planning Committee that's been meeting for well over a year now uh, to proceed with um, a capital uh, approach to our seismic retrofit that would uh, preserve the Stevens Wing, the West Wing, and the South Wing in terms of SPC and MPC uh, compliance, as well as to build out one unit Previous unit on the, in the South Wing into a 18-bed Medi SNP. We have a detailed um, timeline that's been provided to you, and uh, two of our consultants, Katie Ford, from who's a partner with Radcliffe Architects, who's been involved with planning for Alameda Hospital for many, many years, as well as Gary Hicks, who's our financial consultant that was engaged by the district um, several months ago to help with financing. We think that um, the reason for the urgency to act now on behalf of the recommendations coming out of the Joint Planning Committee is first and foremost, capital costs of construction are going up at dramatic and radical rates. So every month that we wait to initiate this project, um, it's gonna cost us a lot more. Right now, we have an estimate on the capital cost of 53 million, that's a reasonably good number. Um, it was done not just by uh, the architect's estimates, Katie's estimates, which we've been working with historically, but done by a professional estimating consulting firm. Uh, so we're reasonably sure of that, but certainly over the next few years, and we've built in inflation factors uh, into our estimates that could go up dramatically. That, and we think we've developed a very elegant solution uh, Financing-wise, to issue a certificate of participation, uh, using parcel tax proceeds um, to service that debt, and th therein lies the key decision before this committee and before um, the Alameda Health System Board, and that is to allow for an amendment to the Joint Powers Agreement to divert that parcel tax uh, revenue stream from operations of Alameda Hospital to supporting the debt. <clears throat> there is no uh, debt 
uh, obligation. There's no uh, liability for Alameda Hospital, uh, Alameda Health System as a result of this. It's solely financed by virtue of the parcel tax income. So um, with that, I'm going to close and be available for questions if they come up during the discussion of the presentation. Thank you. Dr. Deutsch. Hi, my name is Dr. Robert Deutsch. I'm the uh, uh, president of the uh, Alameda, City of Alameda Healthcare District Board, also a physician, uh, critical care, internal medicine, and pulmonary physician at Alameda Hospital. I've been affiliated with AHS and its precursors since 1974 when I was an intern at Highland Hospital, a resident, uh, a senior uh, resident and as a tending physician at Highland Hospital running the pulmonary critical care service from 1980 to 1997. Um, over the, uh, I've been affiliated with, uh, as part of the system now, we the hospital and on the district board uh, almost since its inception. Uh, over the past year, uh, aware of the 2030 seismic mandate from the state of California, uh, there's been a committee that we call the Joint Planning Committee uh, that's been meeting for well over a year on a regular basis. It's chaired by myself and Mark Fratsky. And over the past year, uh, we involved multiple stakeholders, uh, including AHS senior management, AHS middle management, uh, AHS board members, um, hospital board members, community representatives, medical staff representatives, including Dr. Joshi, uh, engineering consultants, strategic consultants, financial consultants, uh, and we've been meeting regularly uh, and analyzing in detail various options to meet the 2030 seismic mandate. The consensus of the committee, after considering multiple options, recommends uh, a strategic plan to meet these mandates using the parcel tax as a funding mechanism for a COP, which is essentially the equivalent of a commercial loan. Financing of the project, which is about $15 million, uh, would be provided by leveraging uh, the parcel tax. In order for this to happen, the JPA needs to be modified to allow the parcel tax to be used for that purpose rather than for operation, operational needs. This plan would reconfigure the Alameda Hospital campus and create 16 additional medical sniff beds to provide additional revenue. Uh, and that revenue will, to a large extent, replace the loss of the uh, parcel tax for operations. And the current configuration will not reduce the amount of acute beds, uh, which the medical staff feels strongly, uh, and the board and, the, and our district board feels strongly, uh, if necessary. We considered we considered multiple other options, and this seems to be the most viable. And also, in addition to answering any questions about that, thank you. Thank you. Uh, any further? Public speakers, no. Okay. So I will turn the floor over to Mr. Trasky and his yeah. uh, Miranda <clears throat> to present the proposal that's Thank on you. the table. I should add, this is for discussion. Uh, proposal itself, uh, there won't be any action taken on the the financing plan or the configuration of the hospital that's planned. Uh, item C two is an action item relating to the JPA. Yeah, thank you. 
trustee. And just a couple of comments before I turn it off to Kim. I first want to thank Debbie and Dr. Deutsch um, for their work and support on this committee. And, and there are other committee members here, including Dr. Joshi and others. And just thank you for all your work. We met before the holidays and came forward with two recommendations for the board tonight. Recommendation number one is to approve a concept of changing the JPA, not the details, but just approval to move forward with discussion of how we would change the JPA language, uh, which is needed to be able to begin to move forward on trying to secure um, the bonds. Um, item number two was the recommendation to approve the option or have at least have discussion on the option that Kim is going to show you tonight. Um, we had a lot of discussion on this option. Uh, clinically, we feel it is the strongest option for our system. We know that this option um, immediately is a annual loss for us, but we're very committed as a group and discuss this fully that we will form a transition team to come up with the approaches to close the gap to make it budget neutral. So that would be our intent. We've got time to do that over the course of the next one to two years, uh, because this project is, as you will see, the timeline goes between 2026 and 2030. So we've got time to do this. So with that, Kim, I'm gonna turn it over to you to go through some of the details of what this all looks like. So, here is uh, a, a proposed agenda here. I wanted to spend a little bit more time on our process journey and the joint planning committee. We got some updated capital costs, which are news, fantastic news. Uh, and we wanted, I want to review the baseline and some key assumptions and um, kind of give an overview of the other options we considered and then the joint planning uh, committee's recommendation, which you've heard. Uh, so our journey um, over the past year, it's been a collaboration between district board members, medical staff, community members, AHS leaders, and government. Uh, there's been a lot of people involved in this. The district appointed a committee. I've got the members here, and I also want to thank them for you know their time uh, we met several times over the last several months uh, working through all of these options. Um, and uh, I think with that, I'll just keep going here. Here's the, the cost estimates. And, and you can see that the revised ones, which are based on professional estimators, really um, went down. So originally, uh, the seismic upgrades for the Stevens Wing West Wing um, were uh, 52 to 71 million, a big range, and they've now come in at 28 million based on these uh, revised estimates. And we also looked at uh, remodeling to south, and we determined that remodeling to south is, would cost the exact same as converting um, these Stevens acute beds to Medi Smith. And that was a, a, a key finding for the for the committee. 
So if you look uh, down at the bottom, I, we've kind of recapped it based on the di different options here. So the 53 million uh, first option would be to lose those 27 acute beds and make them many SNF beds. And then if you look at, if we do the seismic upgrades and keep the acute beds and convert to south to med SNF, it's basically cost the same amount, 53,146. So what, what we've done is we looked at FY23 as our baseline. And we wanted to uh, take a deep dive into the performance of Alameda Hospital. So what we did is we said everything that comes through the ED goes in one column. That's the first column. So uh, if you look at that, we've got a, uh, a operating loss of 2.2 million with that ED. Then we added in elective stuff, things that didn't come through the ED. <clears throat> and we had a loss there of seven, well, basically eight million. And then we've got the subacute which is a, is a program within Alameda <coughs> Hospital. We've got wound care, which is also part of Alameda Hospital. We've got the skilled nursing, which is also there. And then we've got some other services, mostly lab, to get to a total um, for the hospital as a baseline of a loss of 5.2 million. So, um, we did make a few changes, so if you were to go back and look at our entity financial statements, which we reported um, back in May, um, there were a few things that changed. We were able to improve net revenue because we actually looked at closed patient accounts and what the payments were, so we were able to increase revenue $5.5 We had to take down AB85 realignment money. Because uh, in 23, we were, we were able to keep all of the realignment, which is about $40 million. So we took an average of the last six years uh, and put that in, because I have no idea what next year will be like or the year after that. So we just said we're going to take an average of the last six years for that. Um, we had to make an adjustment to AB915, small, 0.4. Um, we had big changes with CalAIM and the skilled nursing. Now skilled nursing services are paid to us through uh, managed Medi-Cal instead of cost reimbursement. The intent of the state was not to hurt skilled nursing reimbursement. So we tried to hold um, the performa harmless for that. Physicians um, are an issue with Alameda Health System. Right now we group everything together and we don't know what where the cost of uh, the physicians actually is hitting, whether it's call at Alameda, call at Highland, clinic time, we do not know. And this is something that we're working on, trying to direct costs to where the physician worked and saw a patient. Um, so what we had to do here was a, a huge deep dive, looking at actual invoices to see if we could direct expense physician costs to Alameda versus another facility. And then we had to look at the employed physician expense. And what we did there is we had to look at the services that the physician specialty provided and then allocate that specialty cost across everybody, including Alameda. So did we get it perfect? I don't know. But it was our best guess at this. And then South Shore was moved to Fairmont in November of 22. 
uh, South Shore does have a profit, and so we wanted to move a full year's worth of profit into the baseline. I'm not going to go through these other items that are consistent with our entity financial statements. I don't think that there's any value in that. We didn't make changes to it. Some key points to take away. Um, one, 50% uh, of the ED activity comes from residents of Alameda. So that means folks in on the island are using Alameda Hospital. Um, there is a higher proportion of Medicare patients, which means uh, the payer mix is actually slightly better at Alameda than on the whole system. Uh, the current SNF payer mix is unfavorable because of the referral patterns that Highland uh, makes. So in other words, if we've got some patients lingering in a hospital, they are more likely to go to our skilled nursing facility instead of some other facility. Most other skilled nursing facilities are kind of picky. They want paying patients. And so we tend to end up with um, uh, unfavorable mix at our own skilled nursing facilities. We are currently at 58% occupancy, which means we're not utilizing all of the acute beds at the hospital today. Um, if we wanted to maintain all of the volume today, we would need 48 acute beds at 80% occupancy. Um, length of stay is high. Uh, we have an opportunity to reduce length of stay, which would then further reduce the occupancy percentage. Um, our surgery volume, um, we've got about less than one a day coming from the ED. And of the elective cases, most of them are ophthalmology, which are just short cases. So we have an opportunity to either uh, increase our efficiency to improve the profitability of surgeries. So that's kind of the lay of the land and how we looked at this uh, uh, and, and how we develop the you know, different options that I'll walk through quickly here. So the baseline, uh, resulted in a loss of 4.8 million to the hospital with those adjustments that I talked to or shared with you. If we're going to use the parcel tax to pay for the bonds, we need to remove it from revenue. So that would be a hit of 5,136. So we're starting with a loss of 9.9 .9 million uh, in the baseline. Option A, which is also the option that the committee is recommending, you would, we would continue to have our 4.8 million loss. We would then need to remove the parcel tax. Then with this option, we would convert to South to an 18-bed SNF unit, which would improve our profitability, resulting in a 7.5 million loss, so better than we're running today baseline. And then we think we have an opportunity to reduce length of stay. You already saw it in the financial presentation I just showed. We're seeing our length of stay coming down, so this is not you know, unreasonable, which would then get our loss down to 5.9. And you heard uh, Mark Bratsky talk about the fact that there are things that we can do to um, improve this more, and that we intend to have an implementation committee to help us do that. Now for the other options we looked at, um, option B here, 
is to reduce reduce the acute beds. So then we lose those acute beds. We're no longer licensed for them. There's not another program we could put there, um, and uh, and it would then um, improve our profitability. But then it would change the uh, footprint of the hospital and any future um, programs we might want to put there. Option C actually adds two skilled nursing units, one to two south, and then it converts the 27 acute beds to um, SNF beds. So then now you see the SNF profitability coming in here and improving us to a positive operating margin of 3.4 million with that reduced length of stay. And then option D is a sub adding a substance abuse unit instead of an extra SNF unit, and that makes no sense because we lose more money. And then E would be if we closed the hospital uh, and lost our, we would keep the skilled nursing beds open, but we would lose uh, the additional reimbursement we get because we are a hospital, and that would be the worst scenario. Any questions before I move on from there? Okay, so here is the recommendation. Um, the recommendation is to go with option A that we've all um, mentioned several times now, and that's to maintain the existing acute beds and add a Medi-SNF unit to two south. Um, the revised capital estimates are significantly lower. Uh, the capital cost to convert the 27 bed uh, acute to SNF is the same as building out two south. That was a key factor in this decision. Um, the committee felt that keeping the acute beds would allow for future uh, program needs. Um, the recommendation included the appointment of a transition committee to include physicians and key stakeholders to improve the financial viability of the hospital. We want to look at things like the mix of surgeries, include improving block efficiency, reducing length of stay, and potentially <coughs> other programs. And the current estimated capital costs at 53 million are within the maximum funding of 70 million, which uh, reduces any potential risk of insufficient funding or unforeseen events or inflation. And um, the committee recommended that the JPA uh, be uh, amended so that the parcel tax can be used for payments of the bond. The next section is the timeline, and we've got some guests uh, on in the Zoom meeting. We have a bond consultant, Gary Hicks, and we also have Katie Ford with Radcliffe. And I, I would appreciate it if maybe one of them could maybe uh, make a few comments on the timeline for this project. This is Katie, and I'll take a shot about on this uh, first slide here. So at the very beginning, it, it's the funding gates for plan approval, and you'll see there's two. One, hopefully in mid-2024, uh, where we um, do the first round Series A funding to get the project going, and then we do a second round once we're in uh, construction or, or we've got uh, bids, um, and that second round of funding would uh, get us through the end of the projects. So. Um, going down on the page, you'll just see there's a uh, design and engineering proposals kind of next step. 
and then there is a an uh, HCI deadline for uh, permit submittal. That's kind of our um, where we have to get drawings in at the very latest for the SPC and NPC. Uh, so there's some pre-work that has to be done for that, and then you see the NPC4 project that's kind of laid out in terms of its phases. There's a There might be a second sheet uh, below this for the other projects. There's NPC5 projects that are also cascading. Then um, in the lighter blue, it's the West Wing and Stevens Wing. Um, this is a seismic project. And then you'll see the last project is the South Wing second floor conversion, which could shift. It doesn't have to start as soon as possible that because it, it's not affected by the seismic compliance. So that Katie, excuse me. Just a sure. quick question. What does NPC stand for? NPC is non-structural performance category. It's um, anchorage of equipment versus SPC is seismic uh, of the whole building. Got it. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? I'm... And then I don't know if uh, if uh, Gary or Mr. Hicks wants to comment on the timing of, of uh, getting the bond financing and how it relates to the construction timeline. Sure, this is Gary Hicks, and with respect to the uh, COP financings, as indicated earlier, we have two series of the COPs for the financing. The first one, as indicated, would be uh, mid-August 2024, so this year, and that would actually fund all of the pre-construction costs on all four phases of the project, so phases one through four. In addition to that, it would pay for the estimated cost for phase one, the actual construction cost for phase one. So again, that first phase takes care of all the pre-construction costs uh, with all four projects and the estimated construction costs with uh, project number one. The uh, second tranche or series of the COPs would be um, <clears throat> in November, December of 2025. Uh, that would take care of all the construction costs associated with uh, projects two, three, and four, uh, which would then cover all the costs, both the soft and hard costs on all the projects. Also, if for some reason the estimated cost for the uh, project number one that was funded with the Series A COPs was, uh, was estimated to be lower than what the actual costs were, would be able to in that second Series B issuance of the COPs in late 2025, we could cover any overage that we have because that would have been um, actually funded based upon cost estimates instead of bids. The second Series, Series B uh, COPs issuance would be done at the time we'd expect that we'd have bids in hand and so we'd have very strong cost estimates for those without the same risks associated we had with the uh, project number one. Um, be more than happy to answer any other questions or go into more detail. I think in addition to this schedule, there's also a more detailed uh, finance schedule that's been produced. But um, uh, again, more, more than happy to answer any questions you may have. I have a short question. <clears throat> um, so you, you, 
the estimates right now are that the cops would go out um, at current interest rates, or are you anticipating a reduction in interest rate, which might generate a little bit more, more uh, proceeds? You know, good question. We've actually done analysis with four different assumptions as far as interest rates. Uh, the interest rates uh, we use were based upon current market conditions, and they were based upon various rating levels. So we would expect that this would be secured again by the parcel taxes. It would also have, in addition to that, what's called the statutory lien provision that would be provided by legislative action, and that we would go to either Moody's or Standard & Poor's or maybe both to secure a rating. Uh, depending on the rating of those bonds, um, whether it be non-investment grade, uh, whether it be in the BAA level, which is the lowest investment grade level, uh, A rated level, or the AA level, uh, we've had different scenarios. And of course, what happens with each of those, just as you've indicated, is to the extent that the rating is higher, that means the rates are lower, and that means our debt capacity is greater. Uh, and even at the lower level, we do believe that we can finance uh, up to the 53 million that's being proposed for this project at the lower level, which would be the non-investment grade level. But that would be fairly tight uh, given current market rates. Of course, right now, interest rates in the last couple of months have been decreasing on the long-term side, which is what we're interested in. We're probably looking at 30, 35 year terms on the COPs. Uh, but we, of course, don't know what the rates will be at the time that we sell the COPs, and that's at the rate that we'd have to uh, to work with. Thank you very much, Gary. I, I guess the, the kind of the crucial question is, you know, are, are there are there are there buyers out there for the, for the cops? And I, I, I'm sure the answer is yes. It's just uh, we we firmly believe so. Whether it be uh, at the lowest level, the worst case scenario, at non-investment grade, and certainly they will be at the investment grade level. Whether that be a BAA, an A, or a AA, we fully expect there will be a lot of investors at those levels. Yep. And that's primarily, of course, because of the parcel tax. Yep. 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 <clears throat> Thanks. Questions. Thanks. Thank you so much. Uh -huh. Anything further on presentation? That is the presentation. Any further questions or comments from the committee? There's something that we never really covered that just popped into my mind now. When I think about, you know, I know people that do renovations and things on their homes and they rent another place to live because it's not a lot of fun. And I, when I was in the government, we would always get these deals from a hotel because it wasn't quite built yet and it was inconvenient. Did we, did we think about what, what the cost is going to be for sort of living through this pretty extensive amount of work in terms of maybe not being able to use the facility or parts of the facility? Is, is that a concern? Sorry, I'm not putting a fly anyway. And I just the committee did talk about that a little no, bit, right. but I don't know that we have an implementation plan on how we would deal with that. What we did say is if we're not converting to skilled nursing beds, the, the construction will be much less. So that's right. another benefit of keeping the acute beds and creating um, skilled nursing units on 2 South. That's what I do there would be actually David a plan for that. We would we would operationalize it to a point where there would be let least disruption we could right. possibly have with patients. 
Any other comments? I, I have some comments and questions. Uh, thank you. Um, so I, I do want to, uh, to me, the process is important. And I, and I applaud the process that you've gone through so far. Because um, I, I mean, I remember making comments maybe as early as two, three years ago that um, if you're not assessing the needs of the community, not assessing, the, I should say that not the needs, but more the, the medical needs of the community, the medical need, the needs of the system and of, of Alameda County, that then you're, you're doing a disservice because, you know, because it, it seemed like the, my impressions were when I stepped on this board were, you know, we just wanted to rebuild the hospital as is and ignoring current market conditions or anticipated market conditions. So I think you've heard me at least you've at least, or at least I appreciate you that you did. Um, so let me, and you've come up with a plan that yes, of course there's got to be compromises, but it's, it, it's financially stable. It does provide for um, the anticipated needs of the system and of the community. But now I'm going to ask you, I don't see anything. And, and I also think I said that, Probably not only is the district should be involved, that the city should be involved, the city of Alameda, not only, and of course the county. So did that happen? Has there? I guess what I'm gonna go to is has there been outreach? Because funny, I would have thought that if the more pub, the more news of this is made, you know, more is made public, that the natural reaction of, of people is they're going to think negative because, and they think that you're taking away our hospital, you were taking away something. And you solve that with explaining and, and having community outreach. Funny, and this isn't, of course, very scientific or not even worth anything because it's just Google. I tried, I looked on, I think, David, the, the, the local paper is the Alameda Post. Is that right? It's sort of a paper. It's online only. Well, yeah, right. And I looked at Patch, and I didn't see any stories. And now maybe I, you know, I mean, and I, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just, I just want us to anticipate that going down the road of, of making, you know, what 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 I believe are going to be smart, intelligent decisions that are best for the community, that aren't communicated properly, uh, and you'll get a, a negative reaction, just because people don't know or don't understand, and. And, and I'll be honest with you, the presentation, which I, I'm following for the most part, is not going to be easy for the person on the street to follow. And I think we should think about that and anticipate that um, that there, you know, if there is some backlash, mostly because people don't understand, that that's something we should think about, and understand, and prepare for. I, Trustee Smondori, I can I I fully agree that moving forward as we proceed, we have to have a communications plan internally, the community, etc. Up to this point, though, I'm very satisfied with the work we've done in terms of including the city. We've met with the mayor, the city manager on two or three occasions. Um, invited them over, which they did. They came and toured. They gave us suggestive ideas for programs, um, etc. So I feel real good about that. The Alameda, the Alameda Hospital Board is elected by the community, they represent the community, and they have been at the meetings as well, um, giving input into not only their thoughts, but community thoughts as we have moved forward through this. So um, I feel good about it to this point, but we are very cognizant of the work we have to do moving forward with communication. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. I have a concern, and that is that we have 
a hospital that we're talking about that's now losing $5 million a year. And we're talking about a $52 million capital investment. And so at, at this juncture, it gives us the opportunity to restructure the hospital if we, have, if we uh, choose to do so. And uh, we have a couple of options to bring the losses to break even or even a slight profit. Um, and instead, we're talking about adopting a proposal where we uh, we have a loss going forward starting in 2030 of six to eight million dollars a year, depending on how well we do with length of stay. And we're going to form a transition committee and hope that the transition committee can figure out how to turn that loss into something closer to a break even or a break even. Um, and I I don't think that's responsible financial management. I think the, com the committee that we have had has been meeting for a year and it hasn't, it has come up with some alternatives or options that would get us to a break even. Um, but it hasn't in a year's time adopted that as a proposal. So for us to say that we're going to approve something where we're going to have a six to eight million dollar loss in 2030. But don't worry, we have a new transitional committee and that committee is going to figure out how to reconfigure the hospital. I think that's irresponsible and I think it's it's backward priorities. And I think uh, uh, adding on to what Splen was talking about, I think if uh, there was an article in the newspaper that talked about that, the average person on the street would say, oh, that's government for you. Plan a loss and we'll kick the can down the road and figure out how to avoid the loss over the next few years. But what if we don't? We're, uh, AHS is stuck with a six to $8 million loss a year. The parcel tax money is gone um, and it's on us. And that's per year. So after three years, we've got close to a 25, 20 to $25 million loss. And we don't know what else is going to be happening in our environment, other projects that we may take on along the way, the reimbursement environment may deteriorate. We we're fortunate that we really did well during the COVID years and got a lot of government money uh, that helped us turn around our bottom line and helped us turn around our, our net negative balance. But we don't know if that's going to happen over the next several years. We do know right now that the state is facing a pretty big budget deficit. So I think what the more prudent financial decision we should make is to adopt option B or option C, uh, knowing that if we are able to come up with ways to uh, have more acute care beds in Alameda, uh, ways that uh, bring us a break even or close to it, we can then add that to the project. Rather than where we're heading is, we're gonna have a project that keeps everything where it is gives our constituents and our medical staff what we want, but we may find out later that we have to start paring it down. And then it's gonna be a takeaway for everybody in the, in the hospital community and in the Alameda community. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. If I may, let's consider the alternative of, we don't take this financing approach. We don't the hospital and the hospital simply goes away. The impact on Alameda Health System is catastrophic. I'm not actually. suggesting that. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with the financing plan. Right. I have a problem with how the 
how the plan structures the hospital and the loss that we're buying into and basically approving for 2030 now with the uh, with the hope that the transition team will figure out a way to turn that around. But that's not really a decision that we're trying to make now. I think we want to air that and, and consider the approaches that are available there. What we need to decide on now is after the finance report. And we still have options around, if I'm not mistaken, well, exactly how I can figure this. Personally, I don't have a problem with the financing part. I think it's a good plan. The problem I have is with the overall plan right. and the fact that if we approve this financing plan and the parcel tax is no longer available uh, to offset the losses, then we are then possibly buying into very large annual, annual losses years down the road, um, and we're not sure we'll be able to handle it. I, can, can I speak? Sure. I just wanted to point out that option C, which I understand Trustee Fox, we're making the point that option C looks the best in terms of financial performance right off the bat. It is, however, $20 million more cost in terms of capital. And it's bumping up right against the maximum level, assuming we have no <coughs> surprises in terms of construction inflation, which I think is a big assumption. It would be bumping right up against the level of a maximum financing. Ability. Well, we do have the option of option B, which, which is, uh, at, which is, is exactly at the same, the same level same of financing. And it, I'm actually not I'm not quite sure why that is so different in terms of bottom line performance from option Because the, we're losing money. So you're saying you're losing money on our acute beds, so we would replace the acute beds with the SNF, which is profitable. But but option uh, B really would bring us down to 39 beds. We the average census is 38, and Alameda Hospital does serve a purpose in terms of offloading acute care patients from Highland. You're on wet red surge regularly, so we think that. Perhaps we could even be more use of that. I know that doesn't translate to the bottom line, but it probably translates to the bottom line for highlight. Mark? Trustee um, Fox, if we separate the two and say we're good with the financing concept of changing that, number one. Number two, we would be irresponsible in 2030 if we get through all this work and we're still losing $7 million. I, I would disagree with you. The opportunity we have is to, if the board says, make it break even, bring back a plan to make it break even, we've got time to do that. That's all I'm suggesting. Well, I'm suggesting that the board, I would recommend to the board that we say that and that we get busy on the plan now and not right. next year or 2028 or whatever. That is the attempt to immediately uh, do that. And uh, I, I heard what the speaker said and about the need for our patients. Um, however, we're here as a finance committee, and the charge of the finance committee is to consider and make recommendations for the board to the board uh, to protect the assets of Alameda Health System as a whole, uh, and and uh, husband the financial resources. And so I think that may be slightly different approach than where several of, of us here are coming from. But that's that's what I think the finance committee's responsibility is. Yes, sir. Can I make a comment? 
I don't, I don't think the board would, would think that option B is viable. Uh, so it's one thing to say that uh, in operations, the loss is difficult for the system to absorb. But we've looked at all the options, including option B. We don't think that's a viable option. I think the district board would approve that. That ends up keeping our, uh, our available acute beds to exactly what our average daily census is. And our average daily census should be higher. Highland is on red surge, perhaps three quarters of the time. You are packed to the gills. There are no place for the patients to go. We, I'm in a hospital, providing additional uh, capacity for being able to take care of those patients. Those patients will languish in the ER on gurneys for 24, 48 hours with no place to go. In addition, the inpatients will have no place to go in terms of uh, uh, the length of stay at Highland will be long and getting longer, again, as those patients can't be transferred. We believe in this transition committee, for example, that the number of transfers from Highland to Alameda Hospital under scenario A could be increased dramatically from one to two a day to three to five a day and use those beds. So essentially, this creates for the system additional capacity uh, and adds, it, it not doing this, essentially continues to handcuff AHS in terms of providing the care necessary. At the same time, it's a, a viable financial plan. Uh, and option B will be very disruptive because you'll have to convert all those uh, uh, acute beds to SNP beds. So the impact on the operations would be considerable. Well, I think if that's the case, then maybe that needs to be incorporated into the analysis. So it shows the value of that. Um, Trustee Fox, I'm not suggesting we make a change to the option we're presenting here, the option that's using money. What I'm saying is let's take the option, let's make it break even in some fashion through different operational measures we can take. Come back here in three, four months, whatever you suggest or whatever we think we can get done, and give it to you. That's fine. That, that, I think, is a prudent way to move forward. If I could just add a little cherry on that. The test should not be the performance of Alameda Hospital as a standalone institution. The test should be the financial impact on Alameda Health System. That's a much di more difficult thing to ask. It, it, right. it is, because we don't want to shift costs or losses right. somewhere else because it's the same impact. Yeah, I'm going to so, echo David's comment there. That, that To me, it's, you know, it, if we're... We, if we're losing money in one facility, but we're making money somewhere else because of shifting, that's how we should analyze this. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I appreciate what you're saying, Alan, but, you know, it, 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 I think there's a good suggestion that we need to analyze the system wide. You know, if we're, if we're, you know, we're pushing in one place and it's benefiting somewhere else, that should be reflected. And I agree with that. And, right. I think uh, what, what I would Dr. like to see that in the analysis of. So I just want to make a couple comments. We did we did attempt to do that. Okay, uh, our uh, Highland has a very high length of stay. So if we got our length of stay down, we could definitely see have more patients not in the ED. Mm -hmm. We did not do that analysis to to like what would be that optimal mix so could, you know, of, of patients. That is something that was not done that we could do. Um, your suggestion, uh, uh, Trustee Fox. Uh, but in regard to the supplementals, we tried to make sure that we didn't negatively impact 
Alameda or the or change any of the allocations to where it would uh, not reflect the reality for AHS. And those are the biggest dollars. And I would say that that may be the biggest struggle is, is people understanding that, you know, like, like, like was mentioned here, that um, if you're moving a patient from Highland to Alameda, you know, th that may be more of a public relations issue than it might be a, a medical um, uh, an, a, a more, or just for the benefit of the entire system. And that's just something that, you know, we need to, op I guess the right word in business is optimize our resources. And uh, it isn't, we don't live in a, in a, in a world in which you, know, you can get from one place to the other rather quickly and efficiently. We, we can, and we just need to optimize all our resources. One last comment. You know, we could wipe the loss at Alameda out in one fell swoop if we did no elective surgery there. But you know what? We'd have to transition that elective surgery elsewhere and take the loss elsewhere. So it really is a system look at how do we become more effective and efficient in our ORs to push more volume through, whether it's at Alameda or elsewhere. That's the challenge I've met. Can I make one more point? Sure. That the current JPA mandates at least 50 acute beds in Alameda Hospital. And but with option B, which was considered, converting those beds also brings us below that. <clears throat> so essentially, Again, the district would have to agree to amend the JPA to allow us to reduce our bed capacity. Part of the reason the parcel tax passed was because of creating a 24-7 emergency room and an active inpatient service. So, so again, option D was considered and rejected over a year with multiple stakeholders, multiple input, multiple analysis. So to reject, to say that option D looks better with such a you know, superficial, I would say, uh, assessment, I, I think it's ill advised. And again, in terms of the impact of the host system, as well as Alameda Hospital and community service. Well, I think if we can take into consideration the impacts on the system outside of Alameda, if that's something that should go into the analysis. I think saying that the, uh, the financing plan does not have any impact on AHS is, is not accurate because AHS has to give up the parcel tax revenue for the financing plan. And, and AHS is totally at risk for the losses if, uh, at a higher level if the parcel tax is not available to support the operation. What is the current, using a similar approach to look at the um, you know, revenue life of Alameda Hospital, what's the current gain or loss today? It's that a would, loss, right? Yeah, that would be the baseline, so. So we're already losing money with the parcel tax. Right. If the finance, if the, if the cost of the financing doesn't eat up the parcel tax, the remainder of it still continues to go to the system. Remember that, because we don't have to eat it all. Yeah, that depends on interest rates and the bond rating and, and the construction and all that. Anything further? I, I just want to comment that I think. Um, the parcel tax approach, or use the parcel tax as security for certificate participation, is our only option, our collective only option to finance seismic retrofit. So the alternative, if we don't pursue this right now and don't at least <coughs> get approval to amend the JPA so we can move forward on the financing, is to close the hospital. And that is option D, 
which is the worst, because you're going to lose the parcel tax at AHS anyway. You're going to turn it into a skilled nursing facility that will not have to stamp mark reimbursement associated with it. It won't be available for acute care overflow at all to the AHS system. So I think the board, the finance committee and the board needs to think of that in the context. And I think right now, we can work out these alternatives and we can analyze more definitively what the impact on the AHS system is, which I totally understand. But if we don't go forward and start amending the JPA and pursuing the financing and start losing time, both in terms of capital cost impact and uh, ability to reach the 23rd deadline, then we're going to be in a very bad position. AHS, the district, Alameda Hospital, the Citizens Alameda. Understood. Okay, if there's no further discussion, uh, we'll move on to item C2, which is an action item recommending to the Board of Trustees uh, and authorize, that they authorize AHS staff to work with the City of Alameda Healthcare District to prepare the funding documents and changes that might be necessary to the joint powers agreement in order to make the financing happen. So this is a, a little bit of an open-ended motion with my non-legal opinion that says we can get started on some of this work. Um, I, I don't see this as being a uh, an approval by AHS of the project that we have outlined tonight. And I don't know if you would agree with that. That's right, Trustee Fox. So, <clears throat> and even the changes to the JPA, we would be coming back to you to approve. This is just for you to give us authorization to begin uh, looking into uh, the JPA and figuring out what we should and should not change. Uh, would someone like to make this motion? I move that we approve the as I'll, I'll second the staff recommendation. Okay. Any discussion? Madam Clerk, may we have a vote, please? Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Aplagasio. Aye. Trustee Sain. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Okay. Uh, the next <laughs> item on the agenda is D1, which is uh, the Fujifilm uh, agreement for uh, implementation of a PAC system. And uh, is Kevin Shorten? Kevin is, uh, Kevin is on Zoom. Okay. Yeah. You're um, Kevin. Great. Um, good evening, um, trustees and committee members, and Happy New Year. Um, well, I'm here to share a proposal related to um, a new contract that is tied to our um, diagnostic and imaging platforms, or AKA PACs. So our current environment, we have desperate uh, systems that collect images across the enterprise. Uh, and right now uh, those uh, images are uh, fragmented and difficult to gain access to. So um, over the past year, uh, we, we've, uh, a committee was formed and we did an assessment including uh, various uh, radiologists, cardiologists, and other clinicians that um, would be using the platform to assess and uh, choose a modernized platform that would benefit the organization and the enterprise. 
So during the course of, of the assessment and, and looking at uh, various vendors, uh, the Fuji uh, platform was chosen for its robust fu functionality to centralize images in a vendor neutral archive, which would allow uh, for images to be accessible uh, to patients as well as clinicians across the enterprise as well as outside our organization. Um, so the modalities that are included uh, outside of radiology and cardiology uh, include uh, porting care uh, ultrasound, um, ophthalmology, and dental. And right now with ophthalmology and dental, they do not, uh, they have limited access to being able to store packs and then make uh, those images and make them available uh, centrally. So part of the, the scope of this uh, contract would include really centralizing all images in a, um, uh, a vendor neutral archive uh, and then also provide robust functionality to a uh, more modern uh, functionality to our uh, various uh, diagnostic areas, cardiology, radiology, uh, dental and ophthalmology, as well as our hospitalists that use point of care ultrasound devices as they go around and, and uh, uh, check on patients. So with the, um, the proposal for the contract, we're looking at uh, actually a, a lower cost over our current um, uh, PACS uh, systems, uh, but gaining much more robust functionality and features that would modernize um, the imaging platform throughout our, our health system. So the proposal is to um, approve this contract to allow us to move forward with a, a enterprise solution and modernize um, the current functionality and leverage uh, the the PAX um, uh, cloud platform, uh, which would also uh, prepare us for leveraging uh, artificial intelligence um, because the Fuji platform has a robust platform that would allow us to um, leverage other AI systems. So a few questions. So it sounds like we now have several kind of freestanding pack systems, which are probably a little bit on the antiquated side. And the life. And, and, and we don't have a central uh, database of all, of all these images. Is that correct? That, that's correct. Yes. Um, and I think the proposal says uh, we're going to be licensed for this. Are we going to own the system or, ha or have a license to use it for a limited period for the five years? Uh, we will be licensing. There will be perpetual license that would be part of the contract, so we will own uh, the software. Okay. What happens at the end of the five years? Will, will we be will be uh, entitled to upgrades along the way and after the five years? Yes, it would be. We would enter into an amendment uh, to extend uh, the contract, uh, so we would continue to optimize. Just as a good comparison would be Epic. Uh, where we're always optimizing the platform. So we would continue to add functionality um, based on the features that would be delivered uh, by the vendor in, in their investment in R&D, um, just as Epic does from our EMR perspective. Is this going to be hosted by Fujifilm? Correct, yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and Trustee Fox, just to you know, uh, uh, underscore that, while we would be purchasing licenses, we have to maintain maintenance and um, subscription licensing with them in order to keep using the licensing, just, just like we do with that.
that's where most software vendors have moved uh, to today. And what's the cash flow? Do we pay for this whole thing up front, or are we paying it uh, rateably over five years? So the um, the, the contract, uh, the the we would be as we implement, we would be charged uh, depending on the phase of the implementation. Uh, so, but the overall five year, which would extend beyond five years because of our implementation over the next uh, 18 to 24 months. Um, we would look at that TCO total cost of ownership of roughly four and a half million spread out um, beyond that five year period. And our, our medical staff, I take it is on board, the radiologists, cardiologists, um, hospitalists, uh, yeah. primary yeah, care physicians. That, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, so uh, one of the, the great things about the process we went through was the the involvement of our radiologists, cardiologists, and other clinicians. Uh, and the, one of the partners we used, they said it was one of the most um, involved uh, clinician assessment of a vendor of a PAC solution that they've ever seen. So we've had over 50 people that participated in the, the demos of the various platforms and they filled out the, the questionnaires and Fuji uh, was the clear standout out of the three vendors that were evaluated. So who's the nearest uh, other user of, of this system? Do we know? Well, Mark, you have uh, personal experience with Fuji uh, from a past life. Yeah, but that's not, Mayo Clinic's not closest. I'm sure there's others <laughs> sure that are closest. I mean, are any, any of the other, uh, <laughs> County hospitals, the state using it that you know. Fuji would know. They could give us that information. Do you know, uh, Kevin, is anybody in the Bay Area using Fuji? I'm not sure that anyone is, uh, actually. Um, that, I'm, I'm not sure. We did um, speak with several customers. I don't have them off the top of my head. But I know my previous organization, Cedar sinai in Los Angeles, uh, they are using Fuji um, Enterprise Imaging Platform. Other questions, comments? Yeah. Anybody oh, here have a, it at home? Just to mention on this, I, I want to give, um, uh, actually, our um, uh, Felicia was involved in this and a number of our other uh, physician uh, leaders. And then Kevin, um, they did a vendor fair uh, on this where we had all of the vendors in. And our medical staff was all invited to come and see each of the uh, vendors uh, in. Um, and, you know, you think that that's kind of standard place. But to Kevin's point, not every hospital system does that. And that was very well attended. Got a lot of really good engagement by our various um, uh, physicians that were, you know, were able to take the time and come see the various vendors and uh, really get hands-on with the uh, with the various products. So it was it was really a neat a neat experience. To get Sounds like it's going to be an exciting development. For the, well, I, I will tell you, I personally, I, I I won't speak for the doctors, but next to the EMR, the imaging, everything that you do diagnostically nowadays involves imaging, really. And that's been a, a huge area for challenging spot for us with the work that we do in integration with Epic, the ability to get those images back to our patients, the ability from all be housed centrally, um, dental and vision um, with ophthalmology will definitely be leading the way there because there's a really emerging fields now too. And so it's one of those things where we're going to be able to leapfrog a lot of other organizations with what we're doing from a centralized archiving. So when would you estimate it'll be operational? It's about 24 months, isn't it, Kevin? 
Yeah, we would. Um, we're going to start off with ophthalmology and uh, dental because that, they're our current uh, biggest risk area. Uh, so we're looking to implement them over the next 12 months. And then during, as we get closer to the end of that 12-month period, we would start up with radiology and cardiology and, and focus. But there's going to be other, like the vendor neutral archive, that would be implemented sooner so we can then start centrally storing those images and make them accessible through a um, enterprise viewer. So if I may, it sounds like it's somewhat iterative because it's going to be partially operational within that 12 month period, but full. The full will project. be about a 24 month, yeah. but yeah, but we'll have the uh, different uh, uh, service lines coming on board Thank you. during that 24 month period. Um, uh, the ultrasound, the, um, uh, uh, what, when are we bringing that on Kevin too? Cause I know that that's a hot topic if you, you know off the top of your head. Yeah, I think the point of care we're, we're also targeting for within the 12, 15 month time frame, uh, because that is that, um, based on Dr. Brandon Besh and Dr. Eriki Asamoto were co-chairs that provided the oversight and direction on this. And, and Dr. Besh is really passionate around focus. Um, so it is one thing that we are looking to to stand up as quickly as we can. And that's definitely an emerging, if you read some of the news articles and so on, definitely an emerging area in uh, is, is the point of care ultrasound. And you see uh, doctors now carrying these small devices. They're yeah. doing ultrasounds right you know, in the ED and other places like that. The problem today is there's no centralized place to, care, to store those images. And it puts the organization at risk if there was ever a challenge or a lawsuit around those images, or if a review needs to be done of those images, that sort of thing. Uh, on them. So it's, it's definitely an area that we want to be leading the way on. Okay, can we have a motion if there is no? I'll make. I'll move the. I'll move the agenda item with the staff recommendation to approve. We have a second. Trustee Obligacion. All right, Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Obligacion. Aye. Trustee Sign. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, we have reached the end of our agenda. So there are no objections. We will adjourn until next month. Good evening. Well, we're excited. It's <laughs> <laughs> nice like an early Christmas present. I think that's, that's very exciting. Yeah, it seems to me that it has to go that way. It's